Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello. Hi, 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 hi. Uh, it's Matt again, and I have some new ways we can all be supportive this week. Um, first... I want everyone to take a moment today to email the Attorney General of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, the Mayor of Louisville, Greg Fisher, and Police Chief of Louisville, Robert Schroeder, to demand that all three officers who killed Breonna Taylor be fired, arrested, and charged for her murder. Uh, Breonna's name has stopped trending on the internet, which means people are losing steam and continuing to demand justice for her, and we can't let that happen. We've seen progress with the three men who killed Ahmad Arbery finally being indicted on murder charges. All four police officers have now been charged for the murder of George Floyd. We need to continue to demand justice for Brianna. Of the three officers, only one has even just only been fired. And while that's cute, that is not nearly enough. So everyone, please, today, not next week, not tomorrow, today, email those three men. Continue to demand justice. You can see their email addresses in the description box for the episode. On a more positive note, I would like to shine a light on Miss Ashley Evans, who has a fantastic website called Dash of Evans. It contain, uh, contains sorry, uh, a slew of original recipes for you to try at home and various tips on how to save money, both of which are prime subjects as we continue to live through a global pandemic. Do you need more home-cooked meals? Are you living on a tighter budget? Then head on over to dashofevans.com. One of the things I actually love is that Ashley has a couple of different ways you can look for recipes on her website, whether it's uh, by irregular index, meal category, or ingredients. If you are like you know, have a have a excess amount of beans in your home, she's got like 10 recipes that you can try. Or if you're like, oh, I want to use my grill finally this summer, she's got like Another 10 recipes you can try. I'm super obsessed. Uh, my favorite thing, though, is Ashley has her own business called In Booze Cocktail Kits. These kits contain infusion bags filled with various dehydrated fruits and veggies and herbs, which you place into a jar and you mix with alcohol that is listed on the back of each kit. And you create an organic version of various cocktails like margaritas or old fashions right in your home. How cool is that? Uh, We do stand. Uh, You can check out how to order some of these packages via Ashley's website or on her Etsy page, both of which are also listed in the description box. All right, that's it for now. Uh, Please enjoy an all-new Broadway breakdown.
Hello, all you squirrel friends out there in the uh, internet world. Welcome to Broadway Breakdown. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Matt Koplick. Joining me today is a dear friend of mine, fellow gay, lifelong friend. And by lifelong, I mean since September of 2019, which is really just, it was the beginning of a new life for me. Uh, my dear friend, Mr. Andrew Melendez. Hi, Andrew. Hi. I hope that's not copyrighted, but hello. <laughs> oh, Alaska has no trademark on that. She stole that shit from Angina. Oh, uh, good. No, it was already we're getting into drag race. This is really, <laughs> really gays on this podcast. Um, how are you today, Mr. Andrew? I am doing wow, I went to, I slipped into some kind of uh, Eliza Doolittle accent there. Um, I'm doing great. I had some coffee, I had some cereal, I'm drinking a little bit of water, I showered. Doing doing pretty good up here in East Harlem. I love that so much. I also just showered for the second time today. Uh, but that is not because I'm trying to impress you. It's because I walked <laughs> I walked four miles to the strand and then took a subway back and then sanitized everything. Of course. Um, yes. But you know, it just worked out that way. So you're seeing me like very, very, very clean. Yes. Skin of a baby. Baby skin. <laughs> Touch this skin, darling. Touch it. Touch, <laughs> Touch all of it. You can't handle it. You're just an overgrown <laughs> orangutan. I told you that I made my mom watch Paris is Burning, right? You did, yeah. yeah that, was, that was quite an experience. Uh, I don't imagine a world in which I would sit down with my parents and watch Paris is Burning. I think there are more questions they would pose that mm. I am. I don't know that I'm equipped to answer those. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Andrew, how is it that we came to know each other? Ah, this is probably one of my favorite stories. Um, <laughs> so Matt and I both joined the New York City Gay Men's Chorus. Shout out NYC GMC. Uh, we joined in August of 2019, so last year. And um, it was for their holiday concert. And they were having auditions for solos because we were doing um oh my gosh what was the song it was a christmas song from elf yes and they were having auditions for buddy and what was that Elf's name oh um it's the amy spanger role uh jovi jovi they were having auditions for buddy and jovi and matt and i found ourselves at auditions and then we found ourselves at callbacks with like 10 other guys in the chorus mm-hmm and um, I will absolutely say that I fully slayed that audition. I was making choices. I was, I stood on a chair at one point. I was on my knees. I, w- I, was, le- I was like, okay, look, I just got a degree in theater. I'm going to use every last bit of this tuition money that I gave to NYU. And um, yeah, I fully slayed it. Matt was also great. Um, I would have loved to be like, Matt was also there. Um, I, so yeah, uh, we won't go into too many details. Point is, um, at the callbacks, it was about 10 of us. And our artistic director, Gavin, basically like didn't know what he wanted for his two soloists. He was like, I don't know, I liked you guys at the audition. So I'm like, we're going to do random pairings for the next you know, period of time. I think it ended up being almost two hours. Uh, and just we all did the same chunk of the song over and over and over again in multiple pairings. And it got to the like the first 30 minutes, I would say, it was like pretty subdued. Everyone, everyone was sort of like testing each other out. And then I think around like the ninth or tenth time it started happening, 
choices were being made. Uh, <laughs> Andrew mentioned jumping on a chair. Uh, another person like was pirouetting, and when, uh, there's a lot of choices were made in that room. People were pulling out cell phones and taking actual flash photos of each other. I mean, yep. and I just stood there and I control. said, "Out of control! This is why the gays don't deserve rights." I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm gay. I believe we yeah. deserve rights. That was a joke. we. Of course we do. I mean, there are some. <laughs> there are some who make it difficult for us to believe that. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Like them, like them, Fire Island gays, Hell's Kitchen. Oh, gay. girl, don't uh, even get me started. Girl, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be sloppy in your social life and not wear a mask, have the at least have the intelligence to do it one on one or like in a group of three where no one's having their phones out and you can be detected. Like, go into a small seclusion. Don't go in the middle of Ninth Avenue with hundreds of gays where everyone has phones out. That is just like if I've learned anything from the TV show Alias, it's don't leave a paper trail. Really, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow color. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dollar. Last night, you and I both watched a little independent film uh, called Hamilton, an American Just musical. Just an indie release. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, very under the radar. Not exactly. many people know about it yet just you know it's 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 um it's a cult classic <laughs> right up there with drop dead gorgeous and and pink flamingos uh yeah yes uh, how how did you first come to know the musical hamilton um so in 2015 i was in my last year of undergrad at the university of new mexico and i was in a musical theater class and One of the assignments for the class was that every week we had to listen to like a new, we had to listen to a new um, musical theater album, like cast recording. And then we had to write like a very short paper about what we heard, what we liked, what we didn't like. Um, And so one week I was looking for a musical to write about and the Hamilton album literally like dropped that same day. And so I listened to it and this is gonna sound so dramatic and I know that everybody says this, but like truly my life was not the same from that point forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but I listened to it like the day it came out and have been obsessed with it from that very moment. And I actually still have that paper. Um, I read it, I, I, cause I did write a little paper about it and I read through it last night and I'm um, not my best writing, but um, yeah, it's also not very insightful. But I'm sure you did your best. <laughs> yeah. Aw, she tried her hardest. Uh, that's and that's nice. And then you came to the city, and you saw. How soon did you see it after you came to the city? Oh, I didn't see it. So, uh, I didn't see it until October last year. So I saw it October 2019. So it was about two oh. years before I got to see it. I mean, I was entering the lottery every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then my boyfriend at the time for my birthday so I had like a birthday party at night and then the next day he like surprised me with the ticket for Hamilton it was very sweet wonderful my first time seeing Hamilton uh I mean I don't want to brag but I actually saw it at the public uh right before it opened and it was but it was just like one of those crazy random experiences because I did not have a ticket uh it was not Hamilton yet it was Mm -hmm. just it was just at the time because it was in previews it was just a very difficult show to see Mm -hmm. it was at the public everybody wanted to see it but like no one really knew how great it was going to be what the impact was going to be it was just one of those like 
insidery things. And my friend Emily, who had done Fun Home at the Public and was about to open it on Broadway, they were uh, still in rehearsals for it. She had recorded uh, an episode of my web series with me that day. And we were sort of sitting around eating the rugula you that we Your made. web series, Baking It on Broadway? I don't know what you're talking about. Some people know it as Backstage Bite from BroadwayWorld.com uh, <laughs> with Miss Katie Lynch. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, no. I was talking about having to fucking trademark something, and then I didn't do it. Uh, guys, always take the time to trademark your shit, because you never know when <laughs> some bitty in a ponytail is going to go on BroadwayWorld.com and steal absolutely everything. Uh, point is... Uh, we were, we had made Rugula for her episode. So we were just like sitting around eating it. And I was like, Oh, what are you up to the rest of the day? She goes, well, I have two tickets to Hamilton. Uh, but neither of my parents can go. My boyfriend can't go. All of my friends are working. She took a long beat. She goes, Oh, Matt, would you want to go? Oh, she took a long beat. Long beat. She took the longest beat. She's a Tony nominated actress. She knows how to take a beat. Uh, and so we got to go and it was, it was still kind of, being tinkered with because actually so fun fact it was the first time that uh javier uh, munoz i don't know is that how you said his last name i okay fantastic more or less sorry if i butchered it everybody i have utmost respect for him it was his first time going on for hamilton because lynn was in the audience taking notes and making changes and in fact was two rows behind me oh my thomas Kale, the the director well the newman at the public seats 200 people maybe 300 people so like even if he were in the last row of that of that theater, it was not he would not have been far away from me, but he happened to just be two rows behind us. But so we saw it, and I remember really liking it, but thinking to myself that it was a little cluttered because it is a very small stage, and like the staging that you see in Hamilton on Broadway is essentially the staging that was at the Public, mm-hmm. and it was a stage that was like two thirds the size of the one they went to Broadway on. So like it's mm-hmm. everything just cramped. Mm-hmm. So I remember everything was very cramped. Um, and there were a couple of things that were changed for Broadway. Skylar Sisters got a bit of an upgrade because they added all the like three-part harmony wild oh, riffs. That was not in, that was not in the show at the public. I remember th- there was no whoa whoa work that was not in it. Um, so when Skylar Sisters happened on Broadway, so I saw I saw their final preview before they opened when it went to Broadway, and it was lovely. It was my first time seeing Lynn in the show. It was frozen. It was wonderful. Um, and then it was like almost a year until the Tony Awards. So there were a couple of shows that I fell in love with along the way to the Tony Awards. And like, mm-hmm. I was, I don't say that I forgot how fantastic Hamilton was, but I, I was introduced to some other works and I was like, I don't know if I want Hamilton to sweep. I really loved Shuffle Along so very, very much. And I really wanted them to get something and they didn't get nothing. Uh, it's like Audra got another robbed. baby out of it. Robbed. Got nothing. robbed. The only time I use that word is in regards to their choreography award. Um, but I will say seeing the film's performance again, I was like, oh yes, this show is, is quite fantastic. Mm-hmm. So for anybody who, you know, might be, might have stumbled onto this podcast from like thinking that it was going to be about the NFL and doesn't know anything about theater. What is, what is Hamilton about? Um, Hamilton is a musical about one of the founding fathers, Alexander Hamilton, um, that was adapted from uh, historian Rob Chernow's book about Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. Um, And it's essentially about the um, American Revolution and early American politics. Um, 
told through the lens of this founding father who at that point really had not had the same, I guess, attention given to him that other people like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington had received. Um, and it's about, for me, Hamilton is about like personal and political revolution and how the two work hand in hand. Um, and yeah, the musical is told through the lens of Alexander Hamilton and um, the people around him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, that probably wasn't a great synopsis of the musical. I've heard better, but I've also heard worse. <laughs> I've heard worse. Uh, yeah, it's also important to remember that uh, Alexander Hamilton for the longest time was really best known for dying in a duel with Aaron Burr. And what you kind of learn from the musical, and I'm assuming from the biography as well, is like while he was alive, he accomplished so much and he was considered very brilliant, but he also had many enemies, many of whom were like some of the other founding fathers. And because he died young, and was outlived by so many of them, they were kind of able to damper his impact on mm -hmm. the founding of America. And so over time, the country is kind of, I don't say we forgot him, but like definitely did not have as good an understanding of his contribution as we should have. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's sort of something that the, that the biography aimed to do and the musical tried to do. And it also does have Aaron Burr himself as uh, the prime narrator of the show. Mm -hmm. Yep. which is a very smart move. And it, something I love about the show is um, Lin-Manuel Miranda is a huge musical theater nerd. Uh, and like, I use that term for realsies because I feel like a lot of kids today when they're like, I'm a huge musical theater nerd. I'm like, name a musical that was written before 2010. And they're like, mm, exactly. Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma. <laughs> was Wicked written before 2010? I don't oh, know. Um, like, I, I mean, when, when, did, when did Adina first get to Broadway? Like that's, and I'm, try, I'm not trying to throw shade, but just uh, a little bit. I feel that a lot of um, younger fans who come, to, who come to become fans of Broadway don't, desire to learn really anything about it of its history or like the shows that came before the show that introduced mm -hmm. them to it so like they love heathers that's fantastic good for them mm -hmm. but they like don't care about anything that came before heathers and i was like right. i was like there's so much especially because the musical is one of the few cultural contributions america has given to the world Truly. <laughs> you can name them all on one hand yeah. uh and that's one of them but so lynn is a true musical theater nerd and uh has references to like Camelot and last five years and South Pacific and 1776 in the show. And even the sort of format of the show with Burr being the narrator is very much a nod to like Evita, how Che is the narrator of Evita. Um, this, this like person who's in this story, but it's not their story. And they are offering kind of a uh, an attitude about the story that maybe doesn't go with how everyone is acting it. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like, Everyone well, I has think one of the one of the really brilliant things about the show is I mean the main conceit of it is that you know we we don't control our narrative once we've died like we don't mm -hmm. really get control over that we rely on other people to tell other people about us and to and to share our story I mean it's you know who lives who dies who tells your story is the you know yeah who lives who dies Janine Tesori yeah. <laughs> And, um, and I think what's really brilliant about Hamilton is that, you know, you have Hamilton telling his story, but 
it's through the lens of, you know, Burr at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when you get to satisfied and when you get to helpless and satisfied, um, I think you, you encounter this idea that, um, your story is different depending on who is doing the telling. Yeah. Um, cause you have Eliza talking about her meeting with Hamilton and then immediately after you have Angelica with like a completely different version of that. So I just think yeah. that is, is really brilliant. It is something that I remember when Hamilton came out, there were a couple of women in my life and this is actually where I want to get back to America for air for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. So, there were a couple of women in my life who, when Hamilton came out, were very anti the show because they found the show to be sexist. And I said, explain to me why you think it is sexist. And they said, well, there are really only three female characters. Um, not because they don't, they don't include Peggy. They, Peggy, no. They consider Mariah Reynolds more of a third character than Peggy, which is fair. Uh, and they said they're all of their... Uh, their presence is determined by their connection to Hamilton, uh, you know, by this man. And a couple of them even were like, I wanted to see like Angelica on the battleground with a musket. And I was like, yeah, it was, sorry, Angelica did a little, (laughs) yeah, a little her. Yes. uh, Podcasts are a visual medium. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Um, I, 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 for me, as a connoisseur of theater, I define sexism and racism as a homosexual white male. Uh, I've always defined it as the attitude of the writer and not necessarily what the character says or does in the piece. Like Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar Named Desire is a rapist and a misogynist. Um, and like, you know, a complex character, sure. He's not painted super broadly, but like is not a good person. I don't think Tennessee Williams is a misogynist for writing him. The whole point of Streetcar is that Stanley is this way. Mm-hmm. That is the attitude of the play and the writer. Um, so I think a lot of modern audiences often mistake the message for the medium, I guess. I don't, medium not, is not the best word, but, um, you know, they, uh, they, no, they mistake the message for the character. Like they see a character in a show being, uh, acting bad or not doing something that's by modern standards considered uh, woke for lack of a better term. And they're like, Oh, well the show is problematic. And I'm like, the sh- sometimes, but you also have to take into context what the show is trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And I think in Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda did his best to write Eliza and Angelica with as much care and craft and, uh, complexity as possible. He wasn't going to rewrite history and have them do things that they didn't do. That would be a disservice to these women who were very inspiring for the time that they lived in um, to try to rewrite history and do things that are considered today to be, you know, super groundbreaking is to demean what they were able to accomplish in their own time. But he was able to give them, you know, space in the narrative and, and able to tell their part of the story and the show even ends with Eliza and her mm-hmm. achievements, which is such a brilliant stroke. Uh, and so that's how I felt. And that's sort of where I was defending them. But when it, the reason I come back to America Ferreira is, so she was talking about her representation as a woman of color in the film industry, as a Latina woman, because she got her start very young. And, and Dax Shepard said, you know, do you feel this pressure now that you're successful that you always have to kind of, speak on behalf of 
the community either as a woman or as a member of the latinx community she was like yeah she goes you know it's fine i'm she goes it's something that i've been accustomed to for a while now she goes but you know i didn't grow up thinking to myself that oh where's you know uh that i could not be julia roberts she was like i found parts of myself in the roles Julia Roberts played, but that's also because of the fact that there was just no representation of me. So she's like, it wasn't until I got into it and started doing things that I was like, oh, we should have more of those stories. Um, Which is, I think, why I'm often very defensive of works from my youth uh, that that have female leads that maybe some women in my life don't like. For example, Little Mermaid, because as a young boy who was, you know, gravitated towards those stories because I did not see stories that represented me as a young, you know, not totally understanding that he was queer child. I was like, I'm very, I'm still very defensive of Ariel because like of my youth, I had no other story to relate to. She was that, she was it. Um, And so there's a sense of, I don't know, uh, when you don't, when you don't have stories that represent you, you find nuggets of yourself in other stories, then you become kind of very protective of it. And then Mm -hmm. other people who don't always uh, understand how lucky they are to have hundreds mm. of stories that can represent them. Like they can, the fact that they can sort of dismiss stories that they don't like is a luxury that not everyone can have. I mean, I, uh, speaking as like a, a gay Mexican man, um, you and I have had this conversation before, Matt. Like I, I love musical theater and, you know, I I went to NYU to get a degree in vocal performance so that I could, you know, have some kind of, I feel like I had some kind of fighting chance in this Mm -hmm. industry. It is something that like, I want to commit my life to. Um, But I have always found, I've, I've, I've always found myself in a weird place with musical theater because I did not see myself represented. And so I always gravitated, 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 girl. Gravitated. I love that. Eloquence. <laughs> gravitated. Eloquence. Um, I always gravitated towards pop music because mm-hmm. pop music and R&B, I just like, I, I, I saw people that looked like me and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just found more solace in pop music. I felt a little bit alienated by a lot of musical theater. And that's something that I've always really struggled with because, you know, then I moved to New York and I'm in a musical theater program and I'm going to auditions Mm -hmm. and I'm surrounded by people who, you know, eat and breathe musical theater. Um, And I, again, I again found myself a little bit like, on the outside of that because I don't have this like really extensive knowledge of Broadway. I don't really have this extensive knowledge of the industry that a lot of people have. Um, and the way that I kind of found my way into that was, was through Hamilton, you know, if we're mm-hmm. talking about representation. When I say that my life like changed from after listening to it for the first time, I, I truly mean that. It was really like the first time that I heard something and like saw myself in it. And I was like, I can be in this. Like this is this is a world that like I belong in. Mm. Um, so I don't think I consider myself someone who is like defensive of Hamilton. I certainly don't think that it is a perfect show by any means. Um, it is It is a great piece of art. And I think what it has done in terms of like representation of people of color on Broadway is excellent Mm -hmm. um i think for every 
fault or flaw that it has, it does 10 things right. Um, but I don't believe that it is like free of criticism necessarily. But as sure. like a, a gay person of color, I look at it and I'm like, oh yeah, this is like a world that I belong in. And, you know, I think it goes back to your point of like, okay, now that we have this, let's do more things like this. Like let's, let's mm. take this work that is really excellent and improve on it. And let's do the same thing. Let's have another cast entirely made up of people of color. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I don't think that Hamilton by any means is like the be all end all of representation on Broadway. Um, I think it, it is- It also shouldn't have to be. No, like I think it's like a great starting point, but I think we can do better. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's, it's necessary that we improve and that we continue exploring this, especially now. Mm -hmm. um, that we continue, you know, exploring what these stories look like beyond just Hamilton. Yeah, I would say I am I'm doing my part to like uh, read up on uh, every, I mean, everything in the country in regards to race relations and and uh, systematic racism and all that. But I because theater has always been my passion, I have been focusing a little more narrowly on that. So I we had talked about this. I purchased two books recently. Um, one is called The Great White Way in regards to race in the American musical. And then uh, Black Broadway, which is uh, a celebration and uh, biography of sorts of many different Black artists in on Broadway. Um, and I just got them today. So I am looking forward to reading them. But uh, I will say Broadway has been very um, <sighs> touch and go in regards to progress when it comes to race. So there's, um, my mom told me about this quote and it, I don't even remember, I think it might've been um, Levin, I don't know. But he, there, it's a quote that says like, um, there are decades where nothing happens and then weeks where decades happen. Mm -hmm. That is true of the world. That's true of Broadway. Like there is, that you'll if you look in the American musical on Broadway, like over the last hundred years, you'll see spurts of progress when it comes to um, gender, sexuality, race, you know, in terms of representation, in terms of writers and directors and designers, you see these like spurts of progress and then like nothing for 25 years and then a little spurt and like nothing. So it's, you know, the, <laughs> I, I don't even know how to finish this sentence, but the point is, is that, I find that a lot of works from like the last, like from 70 years ago, let's say, they're like, we're really trying to do their part in the 40s and 50s of uh, breaking down barriers and providing representation. We look at it with a modern lens of like, well, it's, you know, we can do so much better. It's like, the problem isn't that this was written when it was written and that they didn't do as much as we would like them to. It's that the torch was not passed on by others. Like no one picked up from Oscar Hammerstein to create more roles. Like he was probably the only white writer in theater at the time that was like, I would like to provide roles specifically for the black community and the Latin community and the Asian community. It's like, and that's wonderful. The, the depressing thing is that like when he died, no one else tried to do it. And we had like 25 years where like, there's nothing. It's like a desert. Um, so I'm hoping with Hamilton because Lynn is still alive. Thank thank you, Lord, uh, we can <laughs> continually create more works for uh, actors that are of color, that are roles specifically written for that ethnicity. And it's not just quote unquote color blind casting, which I don't believe in. I believe in color conscious casting. Um, but that's the thing about Hamilton that I love is like, these are not roles where it's like, oh, 
you know, we just kind of, we did whatever. Like these roles were designed for those actors of those races. And that is what makes it so wonderful. It's like allowing them an opportunity to reclaim American history and tell it the way that they can and know how. Andrew's Agreed. nodding. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> Lovely. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman drop? Watching the film last night on Disney Plus, how did, how did you approach watching it? So, uh, when I saw it on Broadway back in October, I think I was so caught up in just the years of anticipation of wanting to see the show Mm -hmm. that I sat in the seat and I kind of was having like an out-of-body experience. Like I was very numb and I was very emotional and every, I mean, the first notes of, of, uh, of the, of the show started that and I literally started crying. Um, And that kind of set the tone for like the rest of the evening for me. I was very just caught up in like, my love for the show and I don't think I've ever known any musical any work as like thoroughly and intimately as Mm -hmm. Hamilton so it really meant a lot to me um so when I left I kind of was like what did I just see and I I didn't really have anything kind of tangible to like hold on to which is of course you know what the theater is but I think the I had such an emotional emotionally reactive experience during it um so sitting down and watching it in my living room on Disney plus was a very different experience Mm -hmm. because it was just me. My roommates weren't home. So, you know, I was by myself and kind of sitting in the dark and it really gave me the opportunity to watch the show again and remember all the reasons why I loved it. And then to really appreciate the kind of stagecraft and the artistry that goes into the show beyond just the, I mean, the performances you can't kind of separate from that, but, um, I definitely was able to watch it and be like, oh, wow, this is like really beautifully staged and these performances are incredible. Um, I don't know why I thought when it was being filmed that it was just going to be like a static shot of like mm-hmm. the front of the stage. But then they started zooming all over the place and getting close up shots. And I was like, this is stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely was still very emotional watching it, but I was able to kind of more consciously appreciate and kind of sift through the things I liked and the things that I didn't like from the comfort of my couch. Was this the first time you'd watched a filming of something that you had seen on stage before? Like you, you didn't see Legally Blonde on Broadway, right? I did not see Legally Blonde on Broadway. I saw it, um, I saw it when MTV aired it they're recording um or like shrek or memphis you didn't see those on stage before they were filmed um no okay the first broadway show i ever saw was the lion king my senior year of high school and then the first show i saw after i moved to new york was aladdin but i don't think i yeah i think before last night i had never seen something on screen that i had seen in person first yeah um bootlegs aside obviously um oh i don't even think i've seen bootlegs really really interesting um we are such very different people we really are why does this even work i don't i don't know (laughs) they say opposites attract clearly we are the living embodiment of that look out Um, for the announcement folks (laughs) uh yeah it's i mean i so like i've 
gone on record many times to say that like I do actually quite support bootlegs just in the sense that part of the untouchableness of Broadway is that it is live and you can't ever truly recreate what's happening in the room in that moment. And it's, and it's staged and it's designed for a mass amount of people to watch at the same time in a grand, you know, in the grand scheme of things to like on a big uh, canvas. That's part of the reason why I actually liked it more on Broadway than at the public was because I was a little further back. I could take it all in in one. The scale of it. Yeah. It's, it's very big and it's also very intricate at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the other things that Hamilton musical theater wise takes a cue from is the original production of Les Mis right down to the turntable, the three part turntable mm -hmm. and the sort of cinematic continuation of it is always kind of moving. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I could pick apart things that I don't necessarily love about the production itself. I love the writing of Hamilton. I'm sure like I could find fault with some things, but overall I think that the writing itself is just fantastic. And Agreed. I think this and I do think the production is stunning often. There are times when I think that the ensemble is not necessary and mm. they're brought into moments that I don't think they should be in. Luckily in the filmed version, they do many a close up and I don't have to see it. Yeah. Um, an example actually being it's quiet uptown and which I think like really should just be the two of them should just be Eliza and Alexander. And I mean, as beautiful as those dancers are on that turntable, like being lifted and doing those potted does. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to look at Philippa Sue's face and watch her. I don't, I don't need a dream ballet right now. I just <gasps> legit. Yeah. Le I just, I just want to watch her cry. You know what it is? It was like, imagine if Fun Home during Ring of Keys and Sidney Lucas is acting for the gods and they're like, let's have a woman come on stage and dance as the woman with the Ring of Keys. I'm like, oh, I don't no. fucking need her. Get her well, off stage, Bethany. It's funny that you bring up Quiet Uptown because watch, uh, watching it last night, I was able to pretty much hold it together. I got a little teary-eyed at the beginning mm -hmm. of the show because I'm just like, ah, oh, this is wonderful. This is amazing. And I managed to really hold it together until it's quiet uptown. Mm. As soon as as soon as Philip dies and Eliza that scream mm -hmm. it it like it, it hit hurts my soul. Like it it like I physically reacted to it. And mm. so I spent most of that song literally crying into my pillow. Like I was holding a pillow on the couch and just crying mm. into it. So I think for me even if there had been things going on on stage superfluously, I really, I really was so much more invested in like the the magnitude of like that moment. If you see him in the street, walking by himself, talking to himself, have pity. Philip, you would like it uptown, it's quiet uptown. He is working through the unimaginable. His hair is gone gray. It's so, it's so difficult. You have to kind of decide what you're doing when you're filming a stage show. Are you trying to best preserve the production and like show off everything that that production had to offer? Are you trying to recreate as best you can the live performance for the screen? Or are you trying to legitimately make a movie out of what's on stage? Right. And the, I feel like this Hamilton was sort of like caught among all three of them. Yes, I, I think I, I was a little... There were moments in the show where I was like fully in it, and then there mm -hmm. were other moments where I kind of was like, mm, "Yeah, I don't know how I feel about what's going on stage right now." I mean, I'm so like, and I'm not trying to be a, a total bitch about this. It's it because on one hand, like, yes, it's so wonderful that we have this, and I, I am such a 
such an advocate for stage shows getting preserved and released because it it just helps it helps everyone see what we love um and bring it to the masses in a lot of ways uh but you know it, there is sort of like a weird disconnect sometimes and uh there's there's b-roll of hamilton from when it opened that you can find on youtube very easily accessible and i actually prefer some of the editing in the b-roll to some to what they did here. like the editing for the battle of yorktown i so much prefer to the editing in the film because what it did was and it's something that the into into the woods did really well which is it would like it would show you the basic image like the audience would see the grand scheme of everything and then like cut into smaller details in the number that like someone's doing here this thing's happening here then like it swirls with the cast and then it goes back to the the thing like um or even when they do rumor it happens in the b-roll like it's it's i'm it sounds like i'm kind of just going off at random and not making a lot of sense but if you watch it there's a great editing moment in the rumor it happens in the b-roll where uh, after Leslie Odom Jr. sings, um, I want to be in the room where it happens, and that cast kind of comes back and echoes with him. It's the main focus is him, and the editing will always come back to him, but then it's like it'll go from a wide shot to a close-up to a wide shot to a close-up of somebody else. And there's like this little bit where they where they kind of do multiple cuts of him the cast and then like a close-up of one detail that someone in the cast is doing so like while he like he'll be singing something but the the camera will be on ariana debose doing like a little thing with her finger and it just gives it this cinematic quality that i love it's very fossey-esque of like you have to know when you don't need to show the person singing you can show another detail that's happening on stage like the yeah. number of times in this film version of hamilton where i thought it would have been wonderful to see the person making an entrance while someone else is singing. Like I thought, like I thought there was an opportunity lost right before burn to not have the camera be on Philip Sue entering while everyone else is singing. I feel like there's from a cinematic point of view, that would have been really powerful to hear the cacophony as she's slowly walking on mm-hmm. instead of cutting to her after everyone's left the stage. Yeah. That's a personal aesthetic, but that's something that I, that I would have enjoyed. Um, I mean, the moment that I really I think sticks out for me is beginning of act two, what did I miss? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a moment towards the end of it where um, Debbie Diggs as Jefferson is like in the middle of the stage and he's not singing, the ensemble is singing mm-hmm. and he's doing like some jig, but the camera's on him and like there isn't any action surrounding him. And so it yeah. was just kind of odd because I was like, it looks, it just looked out of place. I think that mm-hmm. happens a lot. And I agree. It would have been nice to like, well, let's see what like the ensemble mm-hmm. is doing. And um, yeah, especially if they're the ones singing and he's kind of just. Yeah. And that's the problem with something like the production of Hamilton, where there is so much happening all the time and you're not going to capture all of it, but sometimes right. like there is a small detail that's really nice. Like again, in the B-roll of Battle of Yorktown, they actually do a close-up of the guy waving the white flag yeah. while, mm-hmm. while someone is singing about it. And in this, he's just sort of in the distance. Same, oh, thing, with, same thing with Eliza with the letter. Um, mm-hmm. Just like, it's just small cuts like that that I feel like really drive the, the point home. Um, but, but again, that's a personal aesthetic thing. Uh, but going back to aesthetic, there were also a couple of shots that were jarring to me because they were so different from the rest of the film language and they were 
shown so randomly. And I'm referring to specifically the back of the stage camera angle and the uh, bird's eye view from the top of the stage. Yeah. Um, they were both done very sparingly and at times when I wasn't entirely convinced that they were necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they would show up, I would always kind of be thrown for a second. Like, yeah. as opposed to say like the Skylar sisters, there's this wonderful moment in the last third of the song when the entire cast gets onto the turntable and mm-hmm. it's turning three different ways and it's awesome. And they, I was like, if ever Where there was a moment- is the bird's eye view? Yeah, literally, if ever there was yeah. a moment for a bird's eye view, it was that moment and they mm-hmm. didn't do it. And it's one of those things where I'm like, if you really kind of want to show people the craft that goes into this, yeah. like, that's a moment. I, I think the real challenge with, with filming, um, with filming like Broadway shows is, um, is deciding how much like 3D space you're actually going to use. Yeah. Is it like if, cause if you, if you really decide, okay, we're just going to use the like proscenium view that mm-hmm. limits you. Um, but if you decide, okay, well, we're going to use this side of the stage and also the back and then we're going to do the bird's eye view. I think that makes things infinitely more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I think, and again, that <clears throat> dry throat that goes back into like, what are you trying to accomplish with this film? Are you trying to preserve the show? Are you trying to give, mm-hmm. uh, rep- trying to replicate a live performance? Or are you trying to really make a movie out of it? And I feel yeah. like this was sort of... But you got to make a choice. Yeah, you got you got to make a choice and stick the landing. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. And on top of everything, I'm just so happy that the performances of this original cast are preserved. Because mm-hmm. like... I'm not one who's like, oh, the original cast is always the best. But I will say there's something to be said when it's a cast that is, for lack of a better term, in the room where it happens. Like, is there when it's being created that is contributing, Mm -hmm. that is there to sort of help make it grow? Uh, You know, it's the same thing with the original company of A Chorus Line. Like, they were, they birthed the show and they know why a move is at this exact moment. They know what this moment means and this moment means. So there's like, there's a language that, replacement cast casts can learn but they aren't there when it's being invented mm-hmm. and it's not to say that they can't be as good but it's a little harder to get there mm-hmm. um, so i'm happy that the original cast was preserved because there is a lived in quality to their performances that just comes from being there while it's being created and agreed yeah yeah so i was very happy that it was there especially philippa sue because eliza is a role that is really tricky to do because she is very smart. She is very kind. Uh, and she has a lot of complexity to her, but I think a lot of people kind of just get uh, swept up in the like purity of her songs and like the lilting ballads that she sings. And I'm like, she has so much more gumption. And I feel like Philippa really sort of shows that without kind of like shoehorning that in. If that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I don't, it's funny. I don't think that, Eliza is actually that like delicate or that like soft. I don't think that like burn is not a lilting ballad by any means. Sure. Um, but yeah, There's I mean, a lot of I stupid think, people out there, but I mean, <laughs> fire Island. I'll, I'll stop there. 
there obviously is something like so special about like um the the original cast being able to to kind of I think there is something special about having their performances preserved in this way, regardless mm-hmm. of camera angles or um, or anything like that. I think there is really something special about um, creating a role mm-hmm. and and giving it up for like mass consumption the mm-hmm. way that that Disney has done um, with Hamilton. Yeah, and these like because when you create a role, especially in the regards to, to Hamilton, because it's not. Hamilton was a show that was workshopped a bunch with a lot of the members of this company. And a lot of these parts were sort of tailored to what these people do. It's why David Diggs, there's like, there's something about David Diggs' performance as Lafayette and Jefferson, where it's just sort of, it's not even really a performance. He is just so naturally mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. Everything he does just has this lighter than air effervescence to it. And it's, but it doesn't come across as showboating. It's just, it's, it just feels so organic yeah. and you can't really get to that same level when you are taking on a role that you weren't a part of in the career or that you weren't a part of the creation for not to bemoan any replacements talent or anything like that. It's just, you know, you are ta- like, it's one thing to find your way into a glove that doesn't, that maybe fits you pretty well and then making it fit you. And then there's another thing to just have your hand out in the air and have the glove be made around your hand, you know? I'm, I'm, (laughs) I understand, I understand the analogy you're making. I just think it's so interesting that we chose like a tailored glove. (laughs) As I don't know. It's where my brain went. But I agree. I mean, there's a reason that like we, there's a reason that like, like original Broadway cast recordings are what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a certain guess, je ne sais quoi. Yeah, there, it's, there's just something, uh, yeah, there's just something there about it. I mean, I also think that other challenges, you know, when you, when you go into a show like Hamilton that has been frozen mm-hmm. for as long as it has been, um, you don't get the same, I mean, you get to like create your character and you get to have, you know, as an actor, you get to make, you know, those choices for yourself, but you don't get to change the choreography. You, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that like the, even the, the vocal ad libs are very specific. Yeah. Um, uh, and what you can and can't do is kind of uh, determined by whoever the, the music supervisor is. Yeah. Um, but you don't get kind of the the creative liberty that you might get when you're creating a new work, or if you're like if you're staging a revival mm-hmm. of a show and that is directed, uh, you know, whoever is directing that kind of has the freedom to create this world and um, it, it makes whoever, you know, is, is cast in these roles gets to bring themselves to it in a different way. I think, I mean, I think your analogy of a tailored yeah. glove versus like fitting into the tailored glove is mm-hmm. actually pretty apt for, for, for this. So yeah. Props you la- y'all laughed at me. You all I laughed did, at I, me. <laughs> Or at least I did. I don't know. Well, well, I mean, there's, well there's the there's the saying like fits you like a glove. Um, oh, okay, man. I yeah. Well, but that's not I'm even like what I was thinking of when I came up with the analogy. I actually just once you made fun of me, then my mind went to that saying. I was like, yes. actually, uh, uh, let, it, let the record show that I'm the asshole here for laughing yes. at, at Matthew's Finally, astute the astute observation. 
the truth has come out. Um, but I mean, this is the same thing with understudies too. It's, it, you know, staging and vocal inflections, it all comes from the creation of re- in rehearsal and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes an actor having to move a certain way on the stage in a song comes down to just the point of like, in order technically to make this scene transition happen, you need to go here. Uh, But other times it's from an actor's choice that the director likes and they said it. And then a new actor comes in that brings a whole new energy to the role. And that action maybe doesn't work with what they're trying to do, but they have to do it, especially in a show like Hamilton, where it's a three-part turntable and a 25-person cast and everything's moving all the time. Like you can't really go outside of what's been said um, just, you know, for your own safety. Uh, But, and that's, that is a, it's a blessing and it's a curse because you, it's a new challenge to try to make something that's already been set work for you. But it's also, you know, it's limiting, but it, I don't know, it's limiting, but it also allows you to be creative within a, within a structure. Rachel Bloom actually said that Rachel Bloom who did Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which was originally meant to be for Showtime, and then they got picked up at the CW. They're like, oh, fuck. We have all these scripts that are meant for, like, you know, cursing and sex scenes and all that. Like, we have to make this now go for network TV. She goes, it actually made us a better show Mm because we had to work within the confines of network TV, and it made us even more clever by trying to, you know, give the same joke without giving the same joke. Right, yeah. Yeah. so that's that's what I have to say about that. Um, what are some any closing arguments you want to make in regards to this film of Hamilton? I mean, I I'm glad that it exists, and I'm glad that it's on a platform like Disney Plus, mm-hmm. um, which I think still to this point you can get like a free trial for. So if all you really want to watch is Hamilton, get the Disney Plus free trial, cancel the subscription, mm-hmm. enjoy Hamilton for the week or however long you have it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm glad that it exists and that we get to watch it. Um, and um, I, I do think that, you know, Broadway is inaccessible in so many ways. Um, it's very expensive. Um, but a Broadway ticket itself can be very expensive. And then if you live outside of New York City, a plane ticket or a bus ticket or a rental car is also money on top of that. And then if you're staying in the city, you have to include lodging and food and all of those things. So, you know, the price of seeing a Broadway show can, 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 is something that can be inaccessible for a lot of people. So I love that it's on Disney Plus, which you can get pretty much anywhere. And you get to see a really moving, dare I say, revolutionary um, Broadway show from like the comfort of your home. And you you don't have to worry about all of the costs that are involved in getting mm-hmm. to Broadway, especially right now with the industry closed to the way that it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I think what I've seen from a lot of my actor friends on Facebook and, you know, on Twitter and all over social media is, you know, it's, it's a little bittersweet. Um, to be reminded of this world that we love and, and this world that people like commit their lives to and make their livelihood with. Um, it's, it's bittersweet to be reminded of it and to be reminded that we're not going to be able to return to it for a while. Mm-hmm. But then I think it's also really wonderful to know that like theater does exist and that we get to look at this and like celebrate it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I will say, Actually, you know what? I don't agree. I'm not happy it's available. I'm not happy it's on <laughs> Disney+. Plus. Let's argue some more. Um, no, I agree with all of that. 
It's also interesting watching Hamilton, which is bittersweet to me, is that it was written at a time of optimism in our country. And, you know, it's a very optimistic work for the most part, especially at the end. And so there are, you know, there are tricky parts of history that they kind of gloss over, both in regards to- I think right now, that's a lot of the main criticism that I'm seeing of it is people being like, Hamilton is historically inaccurate. Mm-hmm. He owned slaves. He's, he traded slaves. Um, and I, I, I don't think that like any, I don't, I don't think that anybody should be trying to, um, to say otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, I think that we, that we, we're in a world right now where we can say Alexander Hamilton himself was not an immigrant. He was mm-hmm. a colonizer. He was white. Mm-hmm. He owned slaves and he wasn't really a manumission abolitionist to be, to, to be very clear, you yeah. know, and I don't think that, you know, we should be deifying him. Um, I don't think that he is like the, the, to be the, fair, I don't think the, that the show deifies him. I actually think the show does a good job of making him not. Let me, let me, yes, that's sorry, the sorry, 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 that's sorry, the one I was getting to is like, you know, I think all of these things are true and like, no, Hamilton wasn't, a great person really none of our founding fathers were um but hamilton the musical and the way that it is written and the work that it does and just the i mean the concept of a cast made up of entirely people of color or a main cast made up entirely of people of color is amazing and it is something to be applauded and his you know lin-manuel's score and the the hip-hop r&b influences it and also with the seamless like synchronization of of just like classic music theater i mean it Mm -hmm. is it is an incredible work and it is something to be admired and those two things can exist at the same time i don't Mm -hmm. think we should be looking at and in hamilton also you know i think all of the characters they're not presented as like the pinnacle of humanity like these aren't perfect people they are Mm -hmm. i mean from the beginning they are very flawed Mm-hmm. No, and I, I, you're right. I don't think that Alex, that Hamilton deifies Alexander Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very clear that like it, it shows that he made choices and reaped the consequences of those choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we should like limit our enjoyment of the piece by by saying that it's that you know because it's inaccurate or because it portrays these characters this way that it's that the work itself doesn't actually stand up because we also shouldn't be looking to Hamilton the musical as our only source for learning about history. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a lot of discussion about um, the movie, thir- the documentary, Ava DuVernay's um, documentary 13th on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I follow Ava on Twitter and, um, she posted something uh, about uh, criticisms of of looking to like entertainment mm-hmm. um, as like as our as primary sources and criticizing like and, and criticizing um, people watching something like Thirteenth and saying that like they are educated and that they have so much more knowledge and that that kind of is the be all end all of, you know, what we need to know about racism in the prison industrial complex. Um, And 
she she responded to 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 another tweet and essentially said that's not the point of 13th 13th is just the start there's a lot of information in 13th it does a really really great job of kind of tracing the history of slavery and the way that it has been codified in um in the constitution and the way that we have hit just kind of ignored that and we're not really willing to accept the reality that we are in right now mm-hmm. um but you know it's 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 not there are hundreds of books written about the subject as well and 13th is supposed to be a starting point hamilton i think should be a starting point yeah it's not, you, we, we shouldn't look at it and accept it as you know the whole truth because Obviously, they took creative liberties. Even if you look at like the the timeline of the events that happened in Hamilton, um, there, I think the, the Winter's Ball is um, in I think seventeen eighty. It's like the yeah. winter seventeen. Girl, I had to sing it in my head. Seventeen eighty. Winter's ball. ball. Oh my god. Um, Love it. Then like, a couple songs later. Um, they're they're back on the battlefield but if we're looking at like historical timelines um that those like that when they go back to sort of focusing on the american revolution those events took place like three years i think prior Mm -hmm. to them getting married but in the musical they're already married during that time because you know you want the stakes to be higher you want to know that Hamilton has a wife at home and all of these things. So, I mean, even just the way that they have kind of conceived like the timeline of the musical and the way that they fit all of this in there isn't fully historically accurate and we shouldn't expect it to be. No. But I think that the focus of that work is really, you know, I think what what makes Hamilton's character so appealing and so compelling is like words, his words are so impactful and words do matter. Yeah. And the way that we use them um, has has consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hamilton, by no means, is ju- like it's not. It's yeah. I, I no, think no. I know. I I I hundred percent agree with you. I think the people who crit I don't say people who criticize works like Hamilton or Thirteenth for not representing enough or like or, or the people who I was okay sorry the people who would look to Hamilton and be like I've learned the history are the same people who like read two chapters of white fragility and be like I understand racism now it's like no first of all every day's education is constant you're always learning you're always moving towards something more you're working on yourself every day uh Art is never meant to completely give you the whole picture. It is meant to uh, inspire. It's meant to get a conversation going. Like what we're doing right now, you and I right here, is what Hamilton is inspiring to do. Is, is inspiring to do. Hamilton is aspiring for us to do exactly what we're doing, which is to talk about this, to go into other subjects, to reference other things that we've read, to bring, uh, bring up other topics. It's Hamilton was never meant to be a complete history lesson or a complete mm-hmm. thesis on slavery or racism. Um, I don't think any show or movie or book should be responsible for giving you the whole story. Same thing when, like uh, when people right now uh, say, you know, like, oh, well, I reached out to uh, my black friend about what's happening and he said this. I'm like, your friend doesn't represent everybody. 
that's him you know and that's and no one should have to represent everybody or everything it's it's a case-by-case basis all the time you're starting from scratch with every person you speak to every journey that you go on um and that is also something that hamilton brings up about how you're always kind of starting from scratch with every journey and every person Mm -hmm. just because lafayette liked you doesn't mean that jefferson will even though they're both played by the same actor amen amen that's what the double casting really means (laughs) Uh, what did i miss what did i miss Mm. virginia my home sweet home i want to give you a kiss Mm. (laughs) i've been in paris meeting lots of different ladies i guess i basically missed the late 80s i travel the wide wide world and came back to this um andrew this has been delightful thank you so much for coming on today matt this truly is like a dream come true oh i bet you say that to all the jewish boys no i love broadway breakdown i love you i'm i'm so grateful that i'm here thank you i've i've this has been a blast i'm so happy (laughs) that you came on i love you dearly um when i asked andrew to do this it it was i it's the closest i think i'll ever know what it's like to proposing to somebody it was just (laughs) (laughs) it was very that it was very that yeah i loved it so much um Andrew, where can people find you on the social medias? Um, my Twitter is completely private. I I, uh, I work for Disney, so I'm going to keep mm. it that way. <laughs> Alcor. But I am on Instagram. You can find me at, uh, at Andrew is a fruit, except it's um, N-D-R-W is a fruit. It's my first name without vowels. I, I did. I follow you. I had no idea that that's what that was. Most people, yeah, it's most people don't 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 know that, but it is it is just my first name without vowels. N D R W is a fruit. All one is, word. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> uh, y'all can find me on Instagram at Matt Koplik, the usual spelling. Um, please make sure to give us a nice rating or write us a wonderful little review if you can. It just helps with the algorithm. Think about it this way, guys: if you're on Seamless and you want to get some Chinese food, and you see three restaurants recommended to you, they all have five stars. One has a thousand ratings, one has 500 ratings, one has 250 ratings. Which five-star rated place are you going to go to? The one with a thousand. That's what we want to have happen with Broadway Breakdown. Um, We want people to see other podcasts and then see ours and say, well, that one has more five stars. I'm going to go with those two gays on the cover over there. So help (laughs) us out. Help us with the algorithm. Honestly, every rating helps. If you are too nervous to write a review, just give us the five stars. We'll take it. We love you anyway. Um, Andrew, we always close out with a diva, as you know, as a listener to the pod, who would you like to close this out today? I hope it's not too on the nose, but it's gotta be either Renee Elise Goldsberry, Pippa Sue, or Jasmine Cephas Jones, or maybe all three. I mean, why not just all fucking three? The Skylar Sisters. I think that's only appropriate. Uh, thank you guys for listening so much if you have Disney Plus go on and watch Hamilton you will not regret it if you don't have Disney Plus get Disney Plus even like Hamilton aside they have both parent traps they have both Freaky Fridays what more could you possibly want they have 10 things I hate about you and Encore John Miscavige's new favorite show Uh, until next time guys keep Broadwaying keep breakdowning and keep learning Love it. Don't don't throw away your shot. And here are our Skylar sisters. Bye. Look around, look around how lucky we are to be alive right now. Look around, look around how lucky we are to be alive right now. History is happening in Manhattan.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.